It's no secret that writing can be lonely work, but does it really have to be? Whether you're full-time, part-time, or just starting out, you'll get insights into the tricks, tips, and production habits of writers from every level of the biz. From best-selling authors to those launching their first novels, you're sure to be in the company of friends as we encourage great writers to divulge and share their secrets. This is The Great Writer Share Podcast with your host, best-selling author, Daniel Wilcox. Hello and welcome to the Great Writers Share Podcast with me, Bailey. And me, Daddy. And Daddy. And Daddy, sorry. Hello, yes, that was my son doing the intro as uh, this week I am a stay-at-home dad all week as well as trying to manage work, which is lots of fun. So um, I'm going to keep this introduction nice and short as uh, I've got a thousand things that I need to be trying to get to and juggle at the same time, um, which I'm sure you guys could appreciate. Um, but just to give you a little bit of some of the usual intro, obviously today, I say obviously, today is the 7th of April as recording. Um, my guest for today is someone who lurks around in the background of quite a few Facebook groups. He's someone who you'll know if you're in with all the self-publishing formula guys. It is, of course, uh, TWM uh, Ashford or Tom Ashford, who runs the self-publishing spotlight podcast and does a lot of the blogging and everything for the SPF guys. Um, in today's episode, we talk about transitioning writing transitioning from writing prose to telling a good story. So we go quite a lot into how you know the moment of when you're able to write good prose, but how that transcends later into being able to tell a good story. Um, he talks about how he got involved in the SPF podcast and lessons learned from that and those guys over there and curating a strong brand and uh, talks a lot about going into a soft relaunch of his books, which is a similar position to where I'm in at the minute in which you almost um, not discount what you've done in the past, but look at a clean slate in terms of the books that you can put forward in the future using the lessons of what you've learned before, which I think is really interesting. Um, and we go quite deep into that. Going to quickly look at last week's question, which was how do you incorporate exercise into your writing? Um, Holly Line, HB Line, uh, got in touch and said uh, she likes taking control of her ability to exercise by having her equipment at home. It's made it much easier to incorporate regular exercise into a daily routine and it helps me come to my writing grounded and motivated. Thank you, Holly, for sending that over. Um, I am not going to do a question for next week just because I haven't had the time to think of one at the minute. So please forgive me. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by all my wonderful patrons over at patreon.com forward slash great writers share, where for as little as a dollar a month, you can get access to a bunch of extra bonus stuff. You can get all your episodes ads free. You can get early access and you can get just loads of extra stuff over there. Uh, so if you fancy getting some of that good stuff, drop, jump over to www.patreon.com forward slash great writers share and get involved. And now, without any further ado, I'm going to dive into the interview with the one and only Tom TWM Ashford. Enjoy. Tom Ashford, also known as TWM Ashford, is a British novelist. He lives in London with his American wife, not far from where he was born. He's written hundreds of scripts and copy for some of the biggest companies in the world and previously published articles on games and films. He has been known to play a bass guitar on more than one occasion and sometimes well. Of course, his main passion is writing fiction. His books include the Blackwater Trilogy, the Checking Out series, and numerous standalone adventures. Tom, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. No worries. I'm excited to have you. Um, 
I mean, we were chatting a little bit about this just before we came on to recording, but just in general, how, how are you finding the environment with the wonderful coronavirus at the minute? Oh, it's a joy, isn't it? It's an absolute joy. Uh, uh, it's, it's interesting because I think as, as writers, a lot of us have been, um, you know, self-isolating on a regular basis anyway. Yes. <laughs> uh, so from my perspective now, my wife's come working from home. Uh, and it, so I've actually, I'm less self-isolated than normal and more distracted. Mm. So, uh, but health-wise, it's all fine. Yeah. Yeah, I find that interesting because I'm, I'm very similar in that I, I work at home a lot. Um, I mean, oftentimes I go out into town, just get a bit of fresh air or whatever. But when I was first going into sort of doing a lot of this full time, my ex at the time was sort of in and out of the house a lot. And I found that incredibly distracting, but being alone was helpful. Have you, I know you mentioned you've been distracted. Have you found ways to get around that distraction to make sure that you're still getting your work done? Um, yeah, I mean, my wife's pretty understanding in terms of, uh, you know, let me just sit down and write. So uh, it's not too bad in the evenings. Um, during the day, uh, we just try to use different rooms. I mean, we live in London, so uh, different rooms is, is a luxury in the first place. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's it, it works out. Mm. What's the vibe like in London at the minute? Sorry? Oh, the vibe? Yeah. Uh, quiet. Uh, I mean, I haven't, <laughs> I haven't gone out for a few days. My wife uh, went down to the local shop today and somebody walked in uh, and asked one of the staff like, Oh, I'm, I'm pretty ill. Which, which, uh, kiosk should I use? And was very aggressively <laughs> shouted out of the, uh, the store. Wow. Uh, so I think it's a mixed bag, a lot of emotions. Mm. I think it's interesting how much, uh, reinforcing it takes for some people to actually get that message that it's a serious thing and people can all play their part to, to actually make it better in the long run. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but switching into a bit of your writing, because obviously you're a writer and this is a great writer share podcast. Um, tell my audience a little bit about how you got started into writing and pretty much uh, a summary of your journey to today. Sure. Um, so I've been into writing for, for many years. Uh, back in school, I, I really enjoyed doing it, but it wasn't really something that I ever thought of as a, a career or even as something that I take uh, you know, like English literature or something at university. I did a uh, history and, and film. Um, so, and I always kind of wanted to write a book. And when I moved to London to become a copywriter, I just sort of thought, well, this is the time that I should be doing it. You know, if, if I'm employed to, to you know, write and, and use language, I should use this time to, uh, to try to actually be a, a writer. So uh, I wrote a book, uh, took me about a year and it was rubbish. So I immediately scrapped it, uh, wrote uh, another book, probably took me about nine months and it was rubbish, but I released it anyway. Uh, now it's all right, but, uh, it's, it's not, it's not the greatest book ever. Um, and I've just kept writing ever since really. And now I've got 10 books out. I'm kind of doing a soft reboot as it were of my, uh, of my writing career where instead of writing for, me and doing passion projects and kind of looking at it uh, as a career and uh, sort of right into market and taking a sort of commercial view of the whole thing. And what was your bar to success in terms of publishing when you first started? I mean, you said it in your own words, your, in your own opinion, your first book wasn't good, um, but you still published it anyway. So what were, what were your parameters that you were looking at before you thought, yeah, I'm just going to put this out there and, and get this journey going? Um, well, I mean, I'm, I'm always quite harsh about everything that I, I do. Like, uh, if someone asks me like, Oh, do you think this book of yours is good? I'll go, yeah, it's fine. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm not, I'm not one of those people to, to big up. So when I say it was rubbish, I mean, it's, it's okay. 
but now I look back and I think, you know, I, I probably would try to develop the story more or something. Mm. Uh, it was very thematic and uh, that sort that sort of thing, but a bit too literary, but probably without the actual, uh, you know, experience to back it up. Um, but in terms of, I guess, parameters to success, uh, I just, I don't know. I think, I guess I just felt like it was uh, a completed story that it was fleshed out enough that it did what I wanted to do. And I, and I think, uh, it's, it's quite a philosophical book. And, uh, at the time of writing it, it, it meant quite a bit to me. Uh, so I don't want to get too into that, too detailed with that because it's a, it's a bit of a doom and gloom story. Uh, but it was important to kind of release it and to go, you know, I've, I've, I've achieved something. I've, I've put it out there. Uh, and, and, you know, and it was a catalyst to, to writing all the other books. Cause at the time I just thought I'll just write a book. Mm. Then I've ticked it off the bucket list. And then after that, I was like, no, I really enjoy this. And I, now I've written one, I can write a hundred. Mm. Yeah. I definitely think there's something massively important about just getting to the end of a book and actually putting it out there that propels you forward. Because like you say, once you've, once you've done one, you know, you know what the whole process involves and how you can actually move forward and do the rest of the books that you want to do. Um, yeah. Have you found that writing books have gotten any easier since that first one, or is it still quite a, a tricky process for you? Oh no, it's definitely easier. Um, <laughs> so as at the time I was writing maybe, you know, a few hundred words a day and I had time to write more, but it was just a very slow and um, I guess challenging process. Uh, whereas now uh, it, it takes me about three, four months to write a book. Um, it's if you know, I don't feel any sort of like there's no mountain to to climb for it. It's just a case of sitting down and chipping away, you know, getting a thousand words done a day and just, you know, getting a getting a book out in two or three months and then doing the revisions an extra month, whatever. And yes, it's a lot easier. Mm. And I'm assuming that your process has changed quite a lot in those ten books from from book one to book ten. What are some of the the biggest changes, obviously if there are any, um, that have come your way while working on these? Um, aside from, uh, learning, I mean, obviously we'll probably uh, cover it, but, uh, you know, apart from joining SPF and, and learning about all the marketing side of things and, and looking at it more like a business than a, a hobby, um, I guess just kind of learning more about the craft. Uh, cause at the beginning it was, you know, I was, I, I was fairly strong, I guess, with prose, but not necessarily with storytelling. And so over time I've learned more about what reader expectation is and uh yeah i guess plotting as well uh i did plot it the first book out but um not necessarily with uh, a great um guide in mind i guess you know like using the hero's journey that sort of thing i was more just this is what i'm going to write about rather than actually going this is why this scene is there this is why this happens later on and that sort of thing mm-hmm. um so i guess yeah my approach is fairly uh, matured i guess or developed as i've gone mm. you've said you've put something into words there that i've i've always struggled to actually put into words myself something you've alluded to which is um the transition from just writing good prose into uh being able to tell a good story um yeah. and that's something that the minute you said that that sort of triggered thoughts of my own journey and different books that i've written at what point within your journey do you think or which book specifically maybe do you feel like that switch flipped and how did that feel in terms of the actual process of writing for you that is a that's an interesting question i mean i would say probably uh when i was writing books eight and nine uh they were sort of sequels to a passion project that i'd had a while back and 
uh, I was writing them and I thought they were, you know, they're good, they're entertaining, but um, they weren't really targeted at an audience or anything. It was just kind of like, oh, this is fun for me. And there was a kind of realization towards the end of that, that whilst I still, you know, I still think they were good, they've got good reviews, um, still proud of them, it wasn't necessarily going to actually sell. You know, it wasn't going to be like a viable approach going forward. And the book that followed that, the 10th book, which, you know, kind of rounds off the, uh, my first bulk group uh, quite nicely. Uh, it's a very, I think it's a well-written book. The reviews have been very good again. Um, but again, it was just, it was just a philosophical based fantasy story that appealed to me and I wouldn't know how to begin marketing it. Um, mm. so it was kind of around that time that I'd already been floating the idea of writing like an ongoing space opera style action adventure style series, because that's what I'm passionate about. And that's also what lots of other people are passionate about. And you can target that audience. Um, and I guess when I started writing that and I found that I was actually enjoying writing that more than I'd written any of the other ones, which meant that my story was actually going to be better uh, for the both, you know, for me, for the, the reader and everything. So I'm actually going to end up writing a better book than any of more my older, I guess, I guess you could say more pretentious books or uh, or more like winged books, or whatever. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, the reason that resonates with me is I'm pretty much in pretty much the same situation at the minute in which I've written a lot of books that have been, um, I guess, passion projects of mine, just things that I thought I'd, I'd enjoy writing and um. I'm now at the point where I think I recognize more of the tropes and more of the the genre-specific conventions that I'm trying to get into. And I'm about to launch into a bit of a project myself, which I'm hoping will hit some of the stuff that you've just discussed then in terms of uh, reader expectations and just making sure it gets to the right points in the market. Um, yeah. It's just interesting. Like I say, that's, that's never been voiced in that way before. Um, and one thing you did mention there as well, and, and something that uh, is definitely going to be, I think, uh, informative in our conversation as well, as you mentioned, obviously, your connection with the self-publishing formula, guys. Um, yeah. I think it's probably worth just giving a little bit of a nod about how you got involved with all of that and the, the kind of work that you do with, with Mark Dawson. Sure, yeah. So um, I'd been sort of lurking. Well, for those who don't know uh, self-publishing formula, they offer um, uh, you know courses about how to uh, establish author platforms and you know uh, market your books, basically, uh, becoming a successful indie author. Um, they also have podcast that goes out each week i do a whole load of content on my youtube channel uh, the blog and uh, another mini podcast as well called spotlight and there's a really big facebook community group where loads of writers can share sort of tips and techniques and, and general advice uh, so it's really you know it's generally really useful for you even if you're just going to come along and join and, and learn from people and that was basically what i was doing at first i was kind of lurking in the background of this uh, big facebook group of like twelve thousand people or something at the time uh learning what i could and uh, eventually, uh, after about a year and a half just lurking and not really even posting anything, uh, I saw a post from, from Mark or James uh, saying that they wanted somebody to run a blog for them. And I was looking to kind of, uh, I'd been in the same job for, the uh, same copywriting job for about five years, and I was looking for a change anyway. And so I applied for it, uh, you know, went through the whole process. Uh, they, they offered it to me. It was part-time. So I stayed in my previous job, but then just did that in the, a couple of evenings each week, which was really, really great. Got me close to the guys, got me close to all the sort of material as well. Uh, and then after about five months, they asked if I just wanted to come on full-time and, and do a whole load of basically content creation, uh, across the board, which was, you know, f fantastic. So, <laughs> um, yeah. 
Yeah, and no, I think that's a spot that um, a lot of people will be enviable of, particularly the people who know the, the kind of work that goes on over there. Um, jumping back a little bit into the, the part-time stuff that you did, how did you find managing that kind of work around a full-time job and also trying to manage your own fiction? Were you, were you still writing at that point as well? I was still writing. It was, uh, it was brutal. <laughs> <To be honest. laughs> uh, I really pushed myself at that point because I was working what, nine till six in London. So, I mean, I got home at like, uh, I, I sometimes left a little bit early, a little earlier than that, but I got back about 6.30 each evening uh, and then on a Monday and, you know, a bit of Tuesday, depending on uh, how much work there was, I would work until about midnight uh, on SPF stuff. And then, uh, it was basically, I guess, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then Saturday and Sunday, but to a more reasonable extent, uh, just working on my own writing in the evenings um, and still trying to fit in a couple of hours of just sort of chilling out time on top of that. Uh, but it, those those months were, uh, it was busy. It was very, very rewarding though. Mm. So it, it, when I say it was brutal, I mean that in a self-imposed and uh, obviously for for. Fortuitous, yes. <laughs> fortuitous, fortuitous, uh, uh, in the end. So, yeah. Yeah. And how how did you find? How did you manage to keep pushing yourself, particularly at the points where maybe you were absolutely shattered? Maybe you know you just really felt like you didn't want to get up onto the computer and do that little bit of extra. How did you continue pushing yourself? Um, I guess it was the same thing that made me sit at the computer and write every single evening, and for chunks of the weekend for the four years before that or however long it was um in terms of my own personal writing it's just that that sense of uh you keep at it and eventually something will pay off um it's that sort of i guess uh delayed gratification sort of thing (laughs) um because obviously when you start sitting down and writing a book you know often people's first books can take them like like i said like a year or something because they don't they're not used to it and Mm. just getting 300 words down a day is is a challenge because you don't know if it's crap <laughs> you have no idea <laughs> um so but you have to just do it every single day and if you don't do it every single day or as near enough as is as possible it doesn't happen you know if you, if you just go oh, i'll write when i feel like writing i mean some people perhaps but for the vast majority if you sit down and write when you feel like writing you will never write a book because it's Absolutely. just or, or you'll be one of the you know someone like um david mitchell or something who writes a book every like four years <laughs> and, and it might be fantastically written but like you know realistically only, only one david mitchell can exist as a mm. as an author because you just most literary fiction can't can't sustain an author like for a career so you do need to be able to sit down and write constantly and then eventually get faster and faster to the point where you can release you know maybe one book a year or maybe three books a year or, or whatever but you have to sit down and and write so i guess it was the same sort of approach for um for the spf and my day job as well you know i had i had to go to the day job otherwise i wouldn't have rent so that was a that was a guarantee mm. uh and then you know working for well i wasn't going to stop my own personal writing uh so that wasn't really that went to get i guess that went down a little bit but it was a worthy payoff because working with you know the spf guys it was kind of still is a little bit surreal because you know I, I, st- I still remember seeing the podcast every week and being like oh yeah there's james and mark and then one <laughs> and then one day just meeting james for a lunch in london being like what is happening mm. now there's something to be said i think for taking opportunities and and just finding following the trail of wherever they lead um, and letting go of any expectation of what you may or may not get. Like you said, you weren't 
you weren't sure that it would lead to anything in the long run. You were doing part time, and then obviously it has led to this fantastic opportunity for you, where it's all sort of come to um, fruition and, and yeah. yielded a lot yeah, of advantages. And, yeah, and I was, I was I should also point out that I'm fairly I'm in a fairly lucky position. I've got a very understanding wife who, like I said, just lets me get on and write and doesn't mind too much if the the dishes stack up for a <laughs> night. Uh, well, she. Well, Though she, yeah, she will kill me. Uh, but um, I also don't have any kids, which is, I think, the real difference. I mean, obviously, a lot of people probably hear me going, "Oh, I did a day job like everyone else, and then I did a bit in the evening, and I also had, you know, five other days in the week to relax and write or whatever I want." You know, probably thinking, "Lucky kid, <laughs> <laughs> I've got two kids to look after and the same amount of work." So you know, it was it was brutal in the sense I just gave myself a lot of responsibilities and kept pushing myself. But um, you know, there are people who managed to get books out with much worse, uh, well, worse, but much more challenging conditions. Mm. What are some of the biggest takeaways that you've taken from working full time with the self-publishing formula guys? I mean, obviously you'll be privy to a lot of the courses and all the education, but are there any particular uh, things that stick out for you? Ooh, um, I guess the, the work that goes behind, that goes on behind the scenes. Um, and obviously I would say this because I'm doing the work behind the scenes, uh, <laughs> but, uh, genuinely uh, there's a lot of people who, for example, let's take the, the self-publishing show, for example, there's seven people that work on that in terms wow. of different things. Cause you've got, obviously Mark turns up and is the face of the whole thing and, and does the interview. What does the, uh, you know, the top and tail with, with James, James does the actual interview. Uh, you know, there's a guy called John who edits the whole thing. Uh, there's Catherine, who some people might remember from the self-publishing show live, um, being briefly mentioned. Uh, there's me, there's Stu, there's at least somebody else that I'm forgetting. You know, like it's, <laughs> there's, there's a lot of people who go and, you know, do a lot of stuff behind the scenes just for that one show. And then you've got to think, well, there's running the blog, there's the YouTube channel, there's another podcast, there's all the communications, making sure the, the courses are, you know, maintained and having to go through the courses and, you know, yeah, <laughs> you get the idea. There's, there's a lot of work going on behind the scenes, which you don't necessarily see um, when you're just lurking for a year and a half in the background. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, also the passion, I guess, because uh, everyone is genuinely really passionate about it. It's not like, I don't think there's anybody in the entire team or, or even the community really who's just doing it. I mean, obviously everyone's doing it for the money, but no one is doing it because they just go, oh, it's an easy way to make money. Because obviously it's not. If you want to <laughs> be rich, go work in a bank. You know, like yeah. it's uh, like Mark's obviously great writer and he's also very you know very lucky he's got a brilliant career out of it uh but james and john do it because they also love doing it it's not just like a way you know this this is a business that's going to make us loads of money you know it's it's genuinely just something that they really really enjoy Mm. and and i think that passion shines through i hope it does (laughs) yeah oh definitely um do you wish you'd been a bit more vocal in the forums before you actually got on board with the guys or are you sort of happy with how things ended up um, I guess probably, yeah. And I would recommend that anybody who wants, uh, wants help or with anything to do with their books, or even if they don't think that they need any help, but want to get things, you know, things like blurbs and stuff like that checked, should definitely, um, you know, reach out to the community and find out what other people's thoughts are, because you can think that a cover, for example, is really, really good because either you've worked on it or you've paid somebody else to work on it. But until you actually show it to people, you don't really know. 
and you know and, and i i'm used to writing copy for example so writing a blurb isn't too hard for me but i guarantee that if i just try to write my own blurb and i didn't show it to anyone mm-hmm. then it, i will miss things out that other people will just be able to sort of step away with a bit of distance and go, Oh, you really shouldn't be focusing on this. You should just mention that. So yeah, I do kind of, you know, I, I, well, I don't regret not doing it because obviously things have played out pretty well. Uh, but I do think that, you know, I could have made more of the opportunity. And of course you guys had your SPS first ever SPS live in London just a few weeks yes. ago. I mean, it's the, the 25th of March as we're recording. I'm not hundred percent sure when it's going to air, um, but it'll be a few weeks from today. Um, and a lot has changed in that time. So you guys just missed the wave of coronavirus in the UK. So congrats yeah. on that. <laughs> yeah, we, were, not... we were riding that wave, I think. <laughs> yeah. Was, uh... And, and James even wore a hazmat suit, if I'm correct from the, the social media that I saw. Yes, he did. It was a real one as well. He, uh, he had it from his old BBC days. <laughs> so. Fantastic. Um, how, how did you find running or being in sort of the background of one of the, the largest publishing or independent publish, publishing events, uh, in the UK? Um, I think for, for James, Certainly, and I'm sure Mark and John also had this to quite a large extent, uh, but fairly stressful. <laughs> Showing the stress. Um, I mean, th- things ran really smoothly, I think, on the day. Uh, and I think in a lot of ways, things felt more smooth than we expected on the day. Um, but there was constantly stuff going on in the background in terms of like, uh, you know, at one point we had Amazon who were going to come on and, and speak. And then they pulled out, you know, and then other people pull out. And it's all very reasonable. We were very understandable. Mm. Um, but it, it does mean that the last few weeks you're running around like headless chickens, not really knowing how things are going to play out. And yeah, I guess also for the two weeks before, we weren't sure if it was even going to happen. So mm. that was fun. Yeah. Yeah, there's something about uh, events. I mean, my my previous job, I used to work in marketing and uh, I had to run a couple of the, the university's freshers fairs, which was, you know, we'd have anything from five to 10,000 people come through the door during the day. Um, and the whole, the, the the one thing that I found of that was like, there's so much tension in the lead up. And then on the day, there's nothing else you can do, but just let it happen. So a lot of that tension does go and you actually do allow yourself a moment to breathe a little, enjoy it and and, and just run with it. Um, yeah. Did you, what were your, some of your highlights from the event itself and maybe some of the talks? Ooh, I mean, at the time I didn't actually get to see a lot of the talks because I was uh, in the, the green room, basically mm. eating uh, pastries. <laughs> And uh, uh, essentially just making sure that everyone was going out. But again, it ran really smoothly. So it wasn't really a worry. Um, I mean, the sessions were fantastic. I think uh, Mark and James have mentioned this on the main, our main, you know, SPS podcast, uh, but Joanna Penn's session went down really, really well. And I've watched it since uh, with the digital ticket that's available. And it really is really, really in depth about the different ways that you can um, basically diversify your income. Mm. um other than that i guess also we had a boat drinks afterwards which was really fun because <laughs> we just ended up sailing up and down the river thames and uh, the tower bridge opened up for us uh and yeah i mean that was absolutely fantastic so i like like with a lot of um indie author events i think the the networking is very valuable mm. uh and there wasn't a huge chance to network at the actual show because we were trying to fill you know a short amount of time with a lot of information um but uh yeah the boat was really good for that sounds fantastic um jumping back a little bit into some of your writing and some of your books one thing that did jump out to me when i was uh, doing my research and looking at uh, your your books that you've got so far and all your collections um 
your cover art is absolutely beautiful and you can definitely tell that you you're spending time trying to curate a brand for yourself nice. how how are you approaching the actual branding of your own products um well amazingly i i I did actually do my own covers for them. So oh, I'm wow. very glad that you liked them. <laughs> uh, no, they're fantastic. Um, the, the tip for that, I think, is simplicity, which Stuart Bache also mentions whenever he's on Book, book Lab episodes and, and his course and things like that. Um, just finding like an Im- one strong image that works with your book. Mm. Uh, if you're not amazing with Photoshop, I've learned a bit more since I can do a bit more like blending of different images. But if you if you don't know a huge amount about cover design, just find one strong image and get good with typography. Cause even if you get a good image and you have a bad bit of type, it's going to look amateur. Mm. Um, but essentially for mine, in terms of branding and maintaining that, and I'm carrying on that branding in terms of my author name and things like that, uh, to the new, new series. Um, it's just finding a font that works for your name and that just generally encapsulates the, the genre or, or style of writing that you're going to be a, using moving forward and just replicating that from book to book really um i don't think i've really had much in the way of of uh cross series branding um other than just keeping my name the same font and in the same place Mm -hmm. um and then obviously within individual series you want to maintain that sense of branding uh and don't use too many fonts that's the little design tip just generally just stick to one or two fonts so in, in terms of, you know, a film poster, that would be you have your big font for the title and then you have the, you know, the font for all the different like director name, actors names and stuff. And then in for, for a book, you have your, your title font and then you have a second font for your author name. And you, that, that should basically be it. Yeah. And the images you've chosen are, are very, very striking and quite a few of them particular because I'm, I've got them in front of me at the minute, the, the Blackwater uh, trilogy, the individual books, they all have that very movie poster feel to them. Is that something that you were going for specifically or? Yeah, I guess so. And that, that is also reminded me of the other things that uh, I, I deliberately used the same uh, source for my images. So they are all yes. done by the same illustrator. So that does also probably help with the branding. Uh, though the last book and uh, a couple of the others don't have that same illustrator. And so hopefully they still kind of, they still kind of fit. Um, I can't remember your question. I'm really sorry about that. <laughs> um, the movie poster effect. Oh yes. Um, I guess, I guess, yeah. I mean, I'm a big film buff and I think also uh, movie posters. I mean, people have a short attention span these days and I think movie posters obviously have to compete in a very expensive market, much like books. Um so I, I, I feel like if you can do something that a movie poster kind of does, you're going to grab someone's, you know, someone's eye. Uh, there is still is that, um, as, as again, Stu Bage points out, um, the familiarity theory. You know, you want to make sure it still kind of fits within the genre. I'm not sure if mine do. Mine may fall onto the uh, the fancy, looks nice artwork rather than the, the you know, the genre-specific artwork, uh, which, to be fair, also... One of the shortcomings of my books is as much as they might entertain people, they're not necessarily genre specific, as I mentioned before. So it's quite hard to be like, oh, this is a horror and also a fantasy and also a supernatural thriller. Uh, And to reflect that convincingly in a piece of artwork. Mm. So um, I think just making something look good can certainly help to just grab people's attention if you don't know necessarily uh, who, who you're targeting. Definitely, yeah. I I always have mixed feelings about um, 
the recommendations for cover design sometimes because obviously there is an expectation of what a genre um, is looking for. But at the same time, I know that when I'm looking for books, often it's the ones that are different that catch my eye that draw me to thinking that I might buy that book. And particularly traditionally published books tend to not follow those same sort of genre conventions. Um, I mean, how, how, what are your thoughts on that? How do you reconcile that in, in terms of, I know you said yours are a mixed genre, but is that ever yeah. sort of, um, I mean, when I've done when I've done marketing in the past, uh, which obviously as all indie authors must do, um, it certainly hasn't been a problem to get people to buy the first book in a series or anything. Because uh, so I think there probably is something in what you you've mentioned in terms of uh, standing out. Um, but I guess the other thing is also that if everyone is doing the same thing that everyone else is doing because that's what's successful you know like there's women's fiction always has uh well it always seems to have uh, a silhouette of a woman with a bun you know like her hair's in yeah. a bun and it's just in a sort of cursive writing and, and so many books <laughs> just have the same thing uh, and so whilst there is an element of you know you, you follow that you're you're going to fit in and people are then going to identify what genre you are and and hopefully go oh yeah well i like that because i liked this if you have something that stands out, that can also be a valid way, I guess, to, you know, to, to grab people's attention because you aren't following the same trend. And I guess every familiarity theory trend, you know, has to start off with somebody doing something different. Mm. But it, I guess, I guess if you're looking at it from a, um, a commercial point of view, uh, it's, it's probably the risk reward may not be as great to, to stand out as much as follow the trend. But it depends on what you're going after, really. Uh, you know, different people have different results. How do you approach advertising with a mixed genre novel? Uh, with diff- with great dif- difficulty, I would say it's uh, it's it's not straightforward. Uh, it's kind of why I've decided to kind of, as I said, soft reboot my indie author career. And um, whilst I will still be using the same pen name, and I will still have those books out there, and I'm still very proud of them all. Um, I want to be able to target a specific audience and having a book that is, you know, three different genres and, and not necessarily all fitting, uh, not necessarily having a huge crossover between them. It doesn't necessarily lead to great read through because whilst you may get lots of people buying the first book, um, which is, which is the case I've found. I, at one point I even made a, a profit through Facebook ads on a 99p first and series for a short while because wow. I was like, I was getting like nine P a click and then one in two and a half people would buy it. So Fantastic. I was actually, I was making more money than I was spending even on the first series, but it's just not really sustainable because if that dips beyond and then people aren't, you know, dips below and people aren't uh, necessarily, re, you know, getting, going through to books two and three, because, you know, if you, you might pick up the book and go, Oh yes, yeah, it's great. I'm really enjoying this, but I was kind of looking for a straight up horror, for example. So I'm probably going to spend three ninety nine on a on a horror book that I definitely know is going to meet what I want, rather than three ninety nine on a book that was really good, but it wasn't what I was looking for, you know, in the mood for. Yeah. Uh, and I, so I feel like jumping between genres can be tricky. Uh, so I, it's, I mean, certainly not not what I would recommend. Uh, <laughs> um, so I mean, p- people obviously say if you if you genre hop, that doesn't exactly spell great success for you as an author um unless you can write a lot of books under different pen names etc but like if you've got one pen name and you're jumping between thrillers and horror or thrillers and romance or something that's going to cause problems because your audience is gonna they're not going to melt together very nicely um 
So imagine doing that within the same book and you can see the, the problem that can arise if you're not very well trained, I guess, in, in mixing genres. I love the idea of that term, soft reboot. And I'm, I'm actually smiling because that's literally, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, that's the exact same situation that I'm in. I've got a, I've got a backlist of books that I'm proud of. They've, they've done what I wanted them to, but they're sort of scattered all over the place. Whereas I'm now sure of my direction and I'm able to see what it is that I want to put in and, and the kind of projects I want to be working on. I guess a lot of people would look at that as if you've almost wasted time in putting out these products that obviously aren't your your true calling. But at the same time, I guess the argument could be made that you need to go through that journey of discovery in order to know what it is that you want to write, learn the lessons that you need to write and start putting out the books that are what is going to be true to you and your brand. Yeah, 100%. I mean, uh, I mean, yeah, definitely you could look at it like that. And I think I, I probably have looked at it like like that a couple of times uh, feeling like hmm, that was four or four years of, uh, of time that I could have been making money. Uh, but like you said, if, if I hadn't written that, then I wouldn't be where I am now in terms of my writing. My storytelling wouldn't be as good as it is now. It would still be as good as book one, which wasn't, you know, which again, I'm proud of and it's it's well written, but it's not a captivating story in the way that you would probably hope to you know write in in commercial genre fiction um and i feel like if i was starting my sci-fi series now and it was my very first book any mistakes that i would inevitably make would be with that book it wouldn't be with book 11 that you know where i'm, I'm not making those mistakes those mistakes wouldn't be with you know an early book that kind of shows my journey across the years as i develop as an author it would just be my first product that i'm then sort of stuck with because I've got this ongoing series that all has to spread out from it. Mm. So, um, yeah, on one hand, you know, yeah, it's, it's four years where I could have been writing books that made money. Uh, but it's also four years where I was doing something I really enjoyed. I'm really proud of it. Uh, and most people across the entire world and most industries don't get to do something or they don't get to create 10 books or 10 films or anything that, that for a hobby, let alone make money. Um, so I don't really see it as wasted. I mean, people spend lots of money and lots of time on cars and that doesn't, that just costs them money and, and it's nowhere near as creatively rewarding. So definitely I'm not too, not too bothered. One thing that uh, I was worried about when I looked at becoming a full-time author was that I'd worked in a, a position before for an old job where I basically turned a passion into a living, um, and found that, that actually sucked quite a lot of joy out of it. Um, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I feel quite lucky at the minute because I, I'm enjoying what I'm doing and that hasn't happened in this case. But has, has that ever been uh, something that you've been worried about? Uh, no, I don't think, not, not particularly. Um, I, I think there could definitely be a lot of stress involved with being a full-time writer uh, and that being your sole form of income because then there's a lot of pressure. You know, mm. you know like I've been able to write 10 books because it doesn't matter if they don't sell a single copy because I'm just writing it for me. But if I was writing it to make money and then I didn't sell any copies, that would be terrifying. So, I mean, there's definitely the idea of it being a a stressful thing. But then, of course, if you're sensible, you're not going to quit your nine to five to become a full-time author unless you've got good sales coming in and hopefully a good parachute behind you in case something terrible happens. Um, So, no, I've I've not been too too bothered by that. And I guess because I've been working... um, you know, a, a full-time job either, you know, with my old job or with SPF or whatever, I've always been writing in the evenings on my own time. And so if I didn't get some sort of creative 
reward out of it, uh, whether I felt obliged to do it as, you know, off, on, my, on many days I, I just, I do because you just got to sit down and write, then I just wouldn't do it. So I guess it's just that, but suddenly you're doing it full time. You know, hopefully you still really, really enjoy it as well as it being a kind of a, an obligation to yourself and to your readers, I guess. What do you do to unwind? Uh, video games. Nice. <laughs> Any particular massive. favorites? Uh, I've been playing through the Uncharted series recently. Oh, replaying through that. Uh, Bioshock, I think, is the greatest game of all time. Oh, okay. Which, interestingly, James Blatch, uh, he classified that while he was working at the BBFC. Wow, okay. So, yeah, that's a little bit of information. <laughs> little bit. Yeah, I, uh, I, I downloaded that. Well, I bought it from a uh, game a couple of weeks ago just before they gave it away for free on the PlayStation yes. Network. So uh, I lost out on that one, but I'm yet to play it. I've heard, I've heard good things. Um, it is the greatest game of all time. Okay. I will hear nothing to the contrary. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, we are coming up to the end of time on my questions before we go into some of the patron questions. Um, but I have one more question for you, which is, why do you write? Ooh, um, because I've always needed to have some sort of creative outlet would be the, the short, easy answer. Um, I guess when I was in sort of school, so Americans would be high school, secondary school for UK. Um, I was in like bands and things like that. So it was very much wanted to express myself musically. And I already knew I liked writing, but you know, who could write a book back then? You know, you just, writing a book was impossible and there was no way you're ever going to get published anyway. So why, why set out doing that when you're 16? Uh, so I just, you know, loved music. Then when I moved up to London, I was much more like, right, I've, this is the time to write. Um, so if I didn't have some way to express myself in a creative fashion, I think I would just be massively depressed and just sort of sitting on a couch doing not a lot. And some people really like just coming in from work and, and sitting down and, uh, you know, just unwinding and there's nothing wrong with that. I kind of envy people who can just do that because it's fun and you've got lots of free time. But I just feel like if I'm not creating something, I feel quite antsy and, and that I, I'm sort of wasting my time. So I, I, there's got to be an outlet. And now that I've kind of found my rhythm of writing, it's, it's definitely that. Beautiful. I definitely feel the same. I'm, I'm one of those people. It's taken me a long, a long time to reconcile the fact that I can't sit still. Yeah. I have to, I have to do something. I'm, I, I get very, very edgy if I'm just not doing something. Um, but yeah, yeah if I haven't, if I haven't written a, like a thousand words in a day, I just, I feel guilty sitting down in front of the TV. Yes. <laughs> oh man the devils we have on our shoulders yeah um, okay gonna go into the patreon section now so got some questions cool. that were sent over by patrons over at www.patreon.com forward slash great writer share and the first one is what is your favorite place to write Ooh, uh it would be uh probably my usual place which is just on my desk with my nice comfy chair uh that's nice. pretty much it really uh, but equally i mean if i can do it in a writing if i can do it in a, in a cabin in the alps or something like that then that would obviously be fantastic um i think i think going and seeing different locations and writing in different locations can inspire you um but also like I, like i've said multiple times you just got to sit down and write so find somewhere comfy and quiet in your own house and make sure that's the best place to write i guess because that's where you're going to be doing it do you have any particulars in front of you or around you when you're when you're writing do you have any like tokens uh, or talismans? No, I don't. But I do uh, like to write because I write in Scrivener, uh, at least of the you know the first, or second draft and stuff. Um, I like to put that into composition mode and have like 
uh, either a, a sort of image behind it that's relevant to the scene or um, the cover art or something like that, just to set the mood. I didn't and I, uh, do that. Yeah, it's really, really good. Uh, yeah. And it blocks everything else out because it's full screen. So it's just your your manuscript and scene setting imagery and that's it. Uh, I also have a Spotify playlist that is about a day and a half's worth of just random film soundtracks in terms of uh, sci-fi movies and stuff like that, which just gets put on shuffle and that blocks everything out except for the image, music, and then writing. Nice. Is that a random one that you stumbled across or did you build that yourself? I built it myself just from whatever site. I mean, there's no, there might be a Star Wars soundtrack on there, but there's nothing too iconic uh, that I would be like, oh, look, this is Jewel of the Fates. It's yeah. got to be stuff like from Arrival or, some, or Gravity or something like that that kind of just sets the mood. Do you find that you constantly have to fine-tune it? Because I've got a horror one that I've built and occasionally a soundtrack will come out and I'll dump the entire album in there and it won't be until, I don't know, three weeks later that you suddenly hear one track and there's just a bit too much sort of vocal in the background and you just have to uh, remove that. Oh, yeah, if there's any vocal, I don't have it on there. I can't, I can't write with, with lyrics on there, uh, which I don't know if that's from being in bands and stuff like that or if it's just like a personal thing. Because uh, some people, like I know Mark has like, he listens to like all sorts of, Band, like metal bands and rock bands and stuff like that in the background oh, and I, I just I can't do it can't do it the words would just end up on the page I can't <laughs> fantastic uh what would your profession be if you weren't a writer copywriter <laughs> uh, I um I honestly don't know I have no idea and I spent a long time before I uh became a copywriter trying to work out what career to have because I left uni and I did a first year in history, decided I didn't actually want to study history, did film studies, which is not great for careers, to be honest. Anyone who's okay. thinking, oh, I, sh- I should do that as a career choice, don't do it. <laughs> uh, uh, it was a great course, though. Uh, but yeah, I came out of that and I just, I worked in like, you know, Curry's, uh, like a PC World, sort of, a, sort of what I guess, uh, Best Buy style sort of target shop or something in the States. I don't know. Um, just like a store for a while, uh, worked in a chemist, uh, did some training as a teacher at one point. Well, not training, but you know, like experience mm. as a teaching assistant, that sort of thing. Uh, and all the while just writing and doing like gaming websites on the side and stuff like that. And that was obviously where my passion was, but again, how could you make a career out of it? Uh, so I don't really know what I would be doing if I wasn't writing because I, I legitimately don't know. <laughs> yeah. I'm in the same boat. Um, one of my favorite questions, how do you reward yourself when you've completed a project? Ooh, uh, champagne or Prosecco, you know, you're not making any money from your books. <laughs> uh, <laughs> champagne, get a Domino's delivered in or something. Watch a movie. Sounds perfect. Yeah. Beautiful. Okay. Um, thank you very much to the patrons who sent those over. We're going to go now into the quick fire round. So I'm going to throw 10 questions at you as quickly as possible. Try and reply as quickly as possible. If any of them stump you, you're able to pass and it's all just in good fun. Are you ready? Sure. Okay. Cheese or wine? Wine. Godzilla or Mothra? Godzilla. Do you own a cravat? No, but I have worn one once. What's your worst fear? Probably heights. What was the last book you gave up on? Uh, Oh, I never give up on books. To be honest, I, I never do, but I almost gave up on Children of Time by Adrian Tchaikovsky, I think. Uh, but I persevered. But that's the nearest one. <laughs> What's your favourite part of London? Uh, uh, Soho, I guess. Yeah, let's go Soho. Oregano or oregano? Oregano. Favourite fictional realm? 
Rapture. Best birthday present you've ever received. Ooh. I am stunned. I'm going to have to pass on that one. I can't even think. <laughs> if you could live in any decade across humanity's existence, including the future, which decade would you live in? Uh, given that you can't tell how bad the future might be, uh, coronavirus might have wiped us all out, I'd go with 1920s. And on that positive note to end it, <laughs> one, uh, one bonus question. Where can my listeners find out everything about yourself and everything that you're working on? Uh, it'll be my website, uh, www.twmashford.com. Perfect. Well, thank you very much for joining me on the show, Tom. It's been a genuine pleasure. It's been absolutely fantastic to be on it. Awesome. And thank you everyone for listening and I will see you next week. Thanks for joining me for this week's episode of the Great Writers Share podcast. Next week, I'll be joined by the one and only thriller author, Tosca Lee. Don't forget you can get early access to every episode of the Great Writers Share podcast and the chance to ask upcoming guests any of your questions just by becoming a patron of the show. All you need to do is visit www.patreon.com forward slash greatwritersshare and support the show for as little as $1 a month. One more time, that's www.patreon.com forward slash greatwritersshare. Until next time. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hey, y'all, this is Kenya, creative director and co-founder of Domino Sound. And this is Alexandra De Palma, executive producer and co-founder of Domino Sound. And we're a queer, disabled, Black woman-owned podcast production company and network, creating authentic, inclusive, provocative content. We just launched Domino Presents, which is a new series of special audio projects. The premiere episode features the founders of Poppy Juice, the queer art collective throwing the hottest parties in New York City and around the world. We also recommend The Cheat Code, our hit 10-episode audio soap opera surrounding a love affair. Think Love and Hip Hop meets The Affair meets The Sopranos. Follow us on IG at dominosoundco to keep up. And listen to our shows on the ACAST app or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search Domino Sound. ACAST, 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 ACAST recommends. recommends.